The following is sponsored by the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals Giving Tuesday, November 29th. Listen for more at the conclusion of today's podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Jesus' high priesthood is unique to him. It would be wrong to think that Melchizedek and Jesus belong to the same priestly order. That's an unfortunate misunderstanding of what Hebrews is saying. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. I am Jonathan Master, joined as always by my friend and co-host James Dolezal. James, it is good to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing well and uh, excited about our, our conversation with a friend from Belfast. Yes, we are on the line with uh, a friend from Belfast. This is uh, Dr. T. Desmond Alexander, and he is Senior Lecturer in Biblical Studies and Director of Postgraduate Studies at Union Theological College in Belfast, Northern Ireland. He's written a number of books, which our listeners might be familiar with already, uh, From Paradise to the Promised Land, From Eden to the New Jerusalem, City of God and the Goal of Creation. You're getting you're getting a feel for uh, what Dr. Alexander's areas of expertise and interest are. And this book is entitled Face to Face with God, A Biblical Theology of Christ as Priest and Mediator. So, Professor Alexander, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for the invitation. It's much appreciated. I want to begin, as so many of your studies begin, in the Garden of Eden, in the earliest chapters of Genesis. Most of your book on the priesthood of Christ and, and the mediation of Christ deals with his, his heavenly ministry, his earthly ministry, how those two intersect in the life of Christians today. Is there a need for mediation? before the fall in other words is uh, because we're creatures and god is a creator is that mediation need embedded in creation or are we talking after the fall of man into sin i think we're very much talking about after the fall and it is in that context that uh uh, we, we find Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden. They no longer can communicate themselves directly with God. So w once that is lost, then I think the need exists for someone to be a mediator who is going to bring about a restoration of all that has been lost. So Adam in the garden, or Adam and Eve in the garden, had the it were, were able to, as it were, commune with God. They had fellowship with God in the garden, and then that fellowship is lost. And this theology of Christ as the priest and mediator is, is what the Lord provides in the midst of that fall. Yes, very, very much so. Something that is going to, to be introduced. And uh, we, we find reference, particularly in the Old Testament, to the role, not just of an ordinary priest, but of a high priest, and uh, that's what gets picked up, especially in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, when we come to think about the role of Jesus Christ as, as, a, as a mediator. It's, it's one aspect of what Christ does. It's not everything that he does, but it's one way of capturing something of the process by which God seeks to reconcile human beings and to, to himself and 
uh, also to, to restore the world to how it should be. Throughout much of your book, you, you bring together uh, a consideration of the Aaronic priesthood in the Pentateuch, and, and you situate it in conversation with Christ's priesthood in Hebrews, and especially in Hebrews, that's the, that is the book uh, in the New Testament emphasizing uh, his priesthood uh, most preeminently. Why, I want to ask this, why is there such an emphasis on Christ's priesthood in the book of Hebrews, how does that how does that serve uh, maybe the author's aim uh, in the message of the book of Hebrews? I I think that the author of Hebrews, among other things, is looking to explain to believers in his day as to why Christ is no longer present with them on earth. Why has he ascended to the Father? Why is he not actually present? with them in the way that he was with the the first disciples and so the theme of the ascension of christ becomes very important and the author of hebrews wants to in particular emphasize the fact that jesus ministry is is not complete on earth but it requires him to ascend and to be in the father's presence and to function there as our great high priest. So is there, well, is there then, there's a heavenly dimension, uh, uniquely heavenly dimension to Christ's priesthood. And so we don't see him the way they might've seen the Levitical priest or the way the disciples saw Christ with them on earth. Um, does that mean that Christ is serving as a priest now and is his priestly work an ongoing work? That is to say, is the work of Christ going on now as priest in heaven? Okay. I, I think the answer to that is a very definite yes. And again, we have to uh, return to the Old Testament to understand, the, to, to get a, a visual demonstration of what this uh, work is. In the Old Testament context, the high priest had two distinctive functions that only he could perform. Um, one was to present the offerings to God uh, in, in order to atone for sin. And the other was to actually intercede with God on a regular basis to ensure that when people sinned, when the Israelites sinned, that, uh, that, that their sin did not um, take them outside the covenant. The, the, the high priest has this role of mediation. Um, it's worth picking up on this because the Old Testament picture of the tabernacle that we have in part describes it as a tent of meeting. And you may recall that, especially in the story of the golden calf, uh, when the Israelites um, make this idol and set it up just after they have entered into the covenant relationship with God at Mount Sinai, um, it, it seems as if their actions are going to bring to an end the covenant relationship. In, in Exodus 33, um, there's a short passage that's introduced that describes Moses going out to a tent of meeting where he meets with God on a regular basis. The, the Hebrew text makes it very clear that this was a regular event that took place. It wasn't, it wasn't an event that was tied in with the actual um, golden calf incident, 
but it was a reminder that Moses had uh, an intimate relationship with God. He, he, the text talks, talks about him um, speaking with God face to face. And and it, and and the point is made that Moses has found favor in God's eyes because of this relationship. And this intimate relationship then places Moses in a unique position to intercede for the Israelites when this tragedy takes place. And there's a sense in which Christ, having ascended to the Father, having presented himself as a self-offering, uh, is then seated with the Father. And he continues there to be our advocate with the Father. So when you and I, when unfortunately we, we sin, uh, we have an advocate with the Father who speaks on our behalf uh, and, and uh, maintains our special relationship with God. So that, that ongoing ministry explains why Christ remains in heaven. Uh, it's it's a ministry that the the author of Hebrews wants to draw attention to, and and he makes much of it. He talks about how Christ is our great high priest, but one who can sympathise with our human weaknesses, and uh, and he and he draws that out as a word of encouragement to the the people he's writing to, that they should not abandon. Uh, this great high priest and think of going back to the Levitical priests. One of the aspects of the theology of Hebrews that you uh, draw out in your book is not just the heavenly ministry and heavenly priesthood of Christ, but also the contrast between the ministry of Christ and the ministry of the Levitical priests, the superiority of Christ. And one of the aspects of that has to do with the fact that Christ is introduced as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. I wonder if you could uh, speak a little bit about that, about both the superiority, the con contrasts between Christ's priestly ministry, not just the heavenly earthly, but the other contrasts that are drawn out between Christ's priestly ministry and the Levitical priestly ministry, and then why his ministry being according to the order of Melchizedek is so significant. Okay, but um, thanks for that question. There's a, there's a lot to unpack in it. Uh, first of all, the author of Hebrews wants to draw attention to the fact that the earthly high priest um, is someone who sins and has to offer sacrifices for his own sin, whereas Christ is not, um, he, he, he is sinless. Um, uh, attention is drawn to the fact that the earthly high priest enters into the holy place in the tabernacle each day, but then also retreats. He he merely goes in and he stands before the holy of holies to to undertake his role as high priest. Uh, Jesus Christ enters into the superior sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, and he remains there. He's seated in the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, he, he doesn't have to make atonement for his own sin. Uh, he, he is sinless. And so in that sense, he is a, a, his role is described by in, in Hebrews as being, he, he is a, an eternal high priest. Uh, it, his high priesthood never ceases. It's constantly happening because he's always in the Father's presence. Unlike the Aaronic high priest, 
um, who had times when he could go into the holy place to meet with God in the Holy of Holies, but he then had to retreat. And also the Old Testament draws attention to the fact that the earthly high priest dies and his role as high priest then passes to another. Um, now that, that leads in, I think, in a neat way to thinking about Melchizedek. Um, it's somewhat unfortunate that the English translations render the Hebrew, the, the Greek text of, of Hebrews with this word order. Um, um, uh, what's really meant is that Jesus is a priest after the fashion of Melchizedek or after the manner of Melchizedek. Um, the, the very the point that's being made is that Melchizedek did not have a father who was a priest and he didn't establish a priesthood to follow after him. His son did not become a priest. Uh, um, he was a priest king, but we, we don't know anything else about him. He was unique in this sense. Um, unlike the Aaronic high priest who, whose high priesthood passed um, to a son and then from that son to an, another son and, uh, and was part of a, there was an order of priests. Um, Jesus, Jesus Christ's high priesthood is unique. Um, he, he, he's not part of a priestly order. The, the author of Hebrews makes the point that no one in the tribe of Judah was ever appointed as a priest. And he draws attention to, in particular, Psalm 110, which uh, makes the point that the ascended Christ uh, is seated at the right hand of the Father until his enemies are subdued. But he's also there appointed uh, as a priest after the manner of Melchizedek. Uh, the, the Hebrew text in Psalm 110 does not use the word order as such. So, um, uh, and the point is that Jesus' high priesthood is unique to him. Um, it, it would be wrong to think that Melchizedek and Jesus belong to the same priestly order. That, that's a, um, an unfortunate misunderstanding of what Hebrews is saying. So we'll spare the harder question of exactly who was Melchizedek, given that we don't have a genealogy uh, before no. him or following him. Um, but it does, it does amplify that this is a different kind of priesthood, that this is a, a unique sort of priesthood. Um, and even as you mentioned, a priesthood that is founded on an indestructible life through the resurrection, so that he doesn't that he sits down, that he doesn't have to retreat from the presence, and we don't have a funeral for Jesus uh, as our high priest. I want to, just by way of segue, and we can amplify this a bit because it's such a, a beautiful part of your book near the end, is to talk about how this priesthood of Christ, even as you've distinguished it from that of Aaron and his sons and of the Levites in general, how this priesthood of Christ is the constitutes him the mediator of a new and better covenant. And I, I want to just ask if we can talk about what makes the new covenant new and also better than the old, and, and in particular, how does Christ's ministry as mediating high priest actually function in establishing it as new and better? When we go back to the Old Testament, uh, when the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai, uh, they, they enter into a special relationship with God, and uh, um, the expectation is that God is actually going to come and dwell in their midst. 
And this distinguishes them from all the other nations. And it's this special relationship that the, the covenant, the, the old covenant establishes that's so important. But for that relationship to, to exist and to, to be maintained, uh, when the tabernacle is created, part of the, the, the functioning of the tabernacle requires the role of the high priest to, to maintain this covenant relationship. But that high priest, the, the Old Testament high priest, has faults and failings, and, and the system is far from perfect. And so when the author of Hebrews comes to present Jesus as the perfect high priest, um, he wants to get across to his uh, readers that they shouldn't be thinking of going back to Mount Sinai, to, to the old covenant, because it has shortcomings. It, it didn't transform Israel into a holy nation. Um, God's presence with the people uh, was not altogether permanent. The, 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 the exile took place. Um, the, the destruction of the temple will take place after the time of Jesus. Uh, God is no longer living in Jerusalem. And uh, the author of Hebrews wants to point his, his followers to, to something that they cannot see. Um, that there was something attractive about going back to the old covenant because you you could uh, physically go to Jerusalem. You could you could think about being near the temple where God was viewed as living. Um, when you come to the new covenant, you have to think in terms of a heavenly sanctuary that you can't actually see. You can't actually visit it. But the point is that the, this heavenly sanctuary is the real sanctuary. It's uh, the Old Testament sanctuary was a shadow. Um, it was a model of the heavenly sanctuary. And the high priest who's functioning in the heavenly sanctuary, Jesus Christ, is so much better as a high priest. We can, we, we can be confident that his sacrifice uh, it will atone for our sin. We can be confident that he will intercede for us, that God has accepted him because he remains in the heavenly sanctuary. Uh, he, he, will, he, he will not die. Uh, there, there are so many things that are connected in. Um, but it means that um, the, the priesthood connected with the old covenant, in a sense, becomes redundant. You, you, you don't want to go back to what might be thought of as the horse and cart, um, you know, when you've got a Rolls Royce um, to, to ride around in. Uh, and, and in effect, the the author of Hebrews is wanting to get this across that uh, you can look at the old covenant, you can look at the old the tabernacle in the Old Testament, you can learn a great deal about the role of the high priest, but uh, it has its shortcomings, uh, not because the high priest is inadequate. Uh, um, when you come to the New Testament and the New Covenant, you've got a, a, a superior high priest, a better high priest, and he can guarantee for you everything in a sense that was promised in the Old Covenant, but never fulfilled. Uh, the New Covenant replaces it. And, uh, and with that process of replacement, what was the, the priesthood of the Old Covenant becomes redundant. It's no longer necessary to, to return to it. Professor Alexander, I, I can't imagine a better note on which to end this discussion. We are out of time, but we want to thank you for joining us today and also to thank you 
publicly for your labor in in this book, uh, which is a an excellent encapsulation of these amazing truths about the work, the ongoing work of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of his people. So thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. It's been a pleasure to, to, to chat with both of you. Thank you. Well, James, it was good to talk to Desi Alexander. And as always, just fi- a fine piece of work, very accessible, I would say, although there were there were issues that we discussed that he articulated that were big theological themes, big themes in biblical theology. I think the book itself is is one that almost any of our listeners, in fact, I can't envision any any of our listeners not being able to tackle this book and benefit from it. It's it's extremely accessible, and yet it draws on this deep well of of research and study that that Professor Alexander has done over the years. I think listeners uh, should know this is not an excessively long book, 138 pages uh, of text, so very, very manageable. Uh, it comes with a set of discussion questions at the end, so it's very clearly aimed at um, Bible study groups or personal devotions but, or Sunday school classes. Uh, it's in the same series as the book that Michael Morales yeah. wrote, Exodus Old and New, uh, The Essential Studies in Biblical Theology, published by IVP Academic. Um, also, one thing I appreciated in the book is uh, in a few places, there are some really helpful illustrations uh, with regard to layout of the tabernacle and the temple, how that corresponds even to the um, kind mm-hmm. of geography of Sinai. Um, just a lot of several helpful visuals that are kind of placed in the text uh, to help as well. So just in terms of a presentation and a very clear discussion, uh, this was excellent. I think I told you, Jonathan, maybe when we were off the air, that when I when I read a book like this, if there's a discussion of New Covenant, I usually go to that first. Um, just it's, it's sort of my litmus test for whether I'm going to trust the instincts of the author and uh, and then to read everything in light of that. Uh, and that section as a kind of capstone of the trajectory of the book was just fantastic. It was it was informative, uh, but also really heartwarming uh, in its scholarship. So would warmly recommend uh, Desi Alexander's book, Face to Face with God, uh, to our listeners. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the discussion questions. It, it's a good book to pick up and just read on your own. But if you lead a Bible study, or if you're thinking about what to study next in your in your men's group or women's group or something like that, this would be a great this would be a great option. Um, the chapters are uh, sort of uh, compact enough that you could you could read them in between. Good discussion questions, and it's just going to lead you into some rich biblical theology and application. Well, if you'd like to uh, possibly win a copy of this book, we have a couple copies at the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. If you go to placefortruth.org, you can click on the Theology on the Go link, and there will be an option there for you to enter your contact information so that we can uh, give you a chance to win this book. But again, we commend it to you. Uh, it's not an expensive book. It's not a, a, a long book, and I think you'd benefit from it face-to-face with God, a biblical theology of Christ as priest and mediator. We love hearing from our listeners, and we thank those of you who have reached out to us with suggestions and questions. We're always glad to hear. Uh, We're also delighted when you pass along information about this podcast to other friends of yours whom you think might benefit from it. Um, And another way to spread the word is by giving us a rating or a review on whatever 
um, vehicle you download this from, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, those those ratings help us uh, get the word out as well. And also, if you're able to donate financially, if you're able to help us financially, the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals is completely dependent on uh, donations from listeners like you. So you can do that very easily at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. Both of those websites have donate buttons in the upper right-hand corner, and the instructions are, are fairly straightforward from there. As always, thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. On Tuesday, November 29th, members and friends of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals will come together for 24 hours of giving, supporting the amazing work accomplished all year long through reformed events, broadcasts, and publishing. Will you join us? Alliance members have a global impact, sharing the gospel and encouraging and equipping the church worldwide. They're vital ministry partners, bringing biblical truth, sound scriptural teaching, and true hope to a world in desperate need to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. We're excited to announce that all gifts on November 29th will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000 thanks to a generous family foundation. Prayerfully consider joining us November 29th for this exciting opportunity. Visit AllianceNet.org slash giving dash Tuesday for more information. That's AllianceNet.org slash giving dash Tuesday. And thank you.